Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics. And so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Good. Let's get back to our dialogue. Why don't you start? Whatever you want to talk about. He leaned forward and reached for his cup of water. He looked at her as he drank it, and then put the cup down back on the desk. Uh, just say anything? Anything. Whatever is happening in your life, on your mind, that's what I want you to talk about. He thought for a long moment. I, I saw a coyote last night in my house. I was drunk, I, I guess. But I know I, I saw him. Why is that significant to you? He tried to compose a proper answer. I'm not sure. I guess there's not too many of them left in the hills in the city, nearest to where I live. So whenever I see one, I get this feeling it might be the last one out there. You know, the last coyote. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. There, you will find more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe into chapters 9 through 12 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored how we're products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners to it. Shape chapters 5 through 8 of The Last Coyote. And today, we will be taking a deep dive into chapters 9 through 12. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with extreme caution. And now... The Thin Blue Line Podcast, Harry Bosch. It's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Bosch awakes and is hungover from the amount of alcohol consumed the night before. Bosch is angered at himself 
but almost self-emulating due to falling asleep with a lit cigarette between his fingers. He looks at himself in the mirror and wonders what's going on in his life as it is spiraling out of control. Upon checking his answer machine, Harry listens to a message, one from Lieutenant Pounds concerning dropping off his departmental vehicle, and the other from Jared Edgar. Edgar first apologized to Harry for his actions the day before, and secondly tells Bosch that he could not locate any information concerning Johnny Fox. Bosch decides to contact a LA reporter to run down some articles concerning Johnny Fox. After showering and cleaning up, Bosch responds into the Hollywood division and confronts Lieutenant Pounds by dropping off his cruiser as ordered. During his interactions, Pounds is visibly scared of Bosch. After this encounter, Edgar meets Bosch and drives into a car rental company. En route, Bosch receives a phone call from the LA Times crime beat reporter, Keisha Russell, who's replacing Bremer. Russell provides Bosch with a September 30th, 1992 time story concerning how Johnny Fox was killed by a hit and run while working for a district attorney hopeful on O'Conklin. Bosch admonishes Russell to keep his request a close hold for her protection and his. After his meeting with Russell, Bosch arrives early for his therapy session with Dr. Anoho. Dr. Anoho confronts Harry about his injured fingers and what it represents. She also informs Harry that he has all the classic symptoms of the blue angst. The blue angst is described by Dr. Anoho is a condition similar to post-traumatic stress syndrome. Impressed with her ability to break him down, Harry begins to open up and express his issues. At Dr. Anoho's prompting, Harry tells her about his encounter with the coyote close to his home. Bosch also tells Dr. Anoho it's his life's mission to figure out who killed his mother. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for chapters 9 through 12 of The Last Coyote is to realize one's destiny is a person's only obligation. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast. Harry Bosch. And we start this episode with Harry, you know, beating himself up for almost killing himself and, you know, for almost burning himself up by falling asleep with a lit cigarette in his fingers. And just like he said here, you know, how many, you can't count how many times you've gone to a uh, fire scene and someone who was drunk and or uh, under inf- under the influence of some type of drug or alcohol had killed himself by falling asleep with a cigarette in their hand. And I, you know, who cares if you're dead? But just like Harry said, it, there's so many things that could be interpreted with a cop who 
uh, dies that way. And I can't tell you how many times as a patrol officer, I've been to a scene like that. And just like Harry said, that is pretty pathetic. And also, he actually reflects on his condition, what he's going through right now. And let's just talk about this. I think it really became really clear in the prior books, but it's really coming into focus how much of a dick, an asshole, Lieutenant Pounds is. Now, we already know that Harry is on suspension. Well, not suspension, but he has to go to therapy for his interaction with Pounds and throwing him through the window. Now, there's... Okay, so for me, there's two type of lead. One where there is an officer who is on leave for some type of misconduct out in the public. And there's another type of lead, which Harry is on. And back in those days, hell, even now, when you had a take-home car, you really don't have any other personal car. And so I'm going to speak about in, 19, in the 90s, you, know, you really didn't have any other car. Because you were, or especially if you were a specialized unit like homicide or me, like I was in a um, major narcotics, you were on call 24-7. They can call you up. And they didn't want you to then have to go from your house to your um, to the, the department uh, station and then drive to the, the, the scene. They want you to ride right to the scene, you know, because the faster you get to the scene, the better it is for you to solve the crime. So they really, they as in the departments really didn't have any issue with letting officers or letting detectives drive their vehicles around and to pretty much use it as your um, personal POV because that's what they wanted, that access for you to be able to come in and to report to duty if you're called upon. Now, again, by the book, and again, Pounds is rightfully by the book reading you know, departmental policies and procedures, you're required to return your vehicle in. Now, come on, you know, that's what I'm saying. He's such a dick. And, you know, and I, I understand, I think I understand, I'm assuming, which you shouldn't do, but I'm assuming Pounds is a metaphor for all the dicks and bean counters on the departments. Now, they are needed. God knows they are needed because. You always need a good admin to do your job. I always have, have to have a good administrative official so I can do my job. And I, as I told you in prior podcasts, I was terrible at certain administrative functions. But a lot of times, those type of officials, they get off on this type of payback because they're not good at being an investigator. And, you know, I think I pointed out the last book is when. Chief Irving even recognized uh, Lieutenant Hans Off, as um, he was called by the guys, where saying that guy's not a real police officer. And again, it just goes without saying, I'm pretty sure almost in any profession, and it's happening more and more, that those bean counters like uh, Lieutenant Pounds are becoming more in charge than a regular, I wouldn't say regular, or more sympathetic, a more investigative supervisor. And, you know, let me give you an example of how these bean counters try to show dominance over you in their arena, their administrative arena. Because I, again, like I told you, I was on the task force for a majority of my career. 
And so I was not actually sitting in the office with my departmental supervisor. So my my departmental supervisor, say I got off at 4 o'clock, they would call me at 3.50 at my desk. Now, I have a cell phone. You never knew there's always always some type of operation going on. But they would call me at my desk to catch me to see if I had left early. And nine times out of ten, I wasn't. I didn't leave early. I was at my desk entry, but you know, being able to uh, was able to answer the phone. But that's the example I'm giving. Like, who does that? Who call? Especially in the day and age of, of uh, cell phones, the first thing I always call people on their cell phone first. I would never call them at their desk, but you call you call me at my desk to catch me and see if I was at my desk. You know, when I supposed to. Uh, when I supposed to be there, you know, ooh, did Phil leave 10 minutes before so, uh, 10 minutes beforehand? Again, just like here with Pounds to try to get you administratively because no way could they ever compete with you and, and or give you any type of insight when it comes to criminal investigations. And again, you, you guys know how I feel about Jerry Edgar. And the fact that Jerry Egger says to Bosch, well, he says this on the answer machine, but hey, look, just to say, I was an ass, you were ass, but if I ever forget how much I owe you, you know, kick me in the ass as you did. And again, I like how Michael Conley talks about this relationship between Harry and Egger because it's not perfect. And you tell me what relationship is perfect. And again, this is why how true to law enforcement Michael Connelly is being here. It's not that TV perfect relationship that goes on. And so after he listens to uh, Jerry Edgar's uh, message that pretty much there was no information on Johnny Fox, Bosch goes back to his tried and true method of following up and getting information. And he calls the new beat reporter at the LA Times. Um, her name is Keisha uh, Russell. And what's interesting here, again, for my listeners who don't really understand how much of a game changer the internet was, that was another way, a best way to get information, to have an in at the, at the uh, local newspaper. And as we see here, he's willing, he is and Harry's willing to trade access to him, which we know every reporter wants access to. Uh, a D, a, a, a top-notch detective like a Harry, in exchange for some information. And you know, Michael Conley again hits the nail on the head um, when he says that Keisha says to uh, Harry, uh, "Anything going on?" Because that's the first thing reporters say to you when they talk to you. Hey, Phil, anything going on? Uh, and again, I like that. I like how. And I get it's never going to get old to me. And so I hope it doesn't get old to you guys just to keep pointing out these things about um, Michael Conley. And, you know, why I say that, why, you know, kind of off topic, you know, one of the um, one of the podcast listeners asked me to start pointing out when Michael Conley gets it wrong. And I will do that again. I want to give that feedback to you guys. So I want you guys to understand I will take your um, input and I will try to incorporate it into uh, the podcast. And if I haven't done it so far, um, that's pretty much because Michael Connolly has been pretty much on, at least in my experience, 
on some of the things that he points out in the books so far. So, but I will do that. So, a uh, listener who pointed that out, thank you so much. And oh, we also see Harry after he gets, you know, he's getting himself cleaned up and harking, harking back to the very first podcast that I put, that we produced and put out there. You know, we see him getting himself together, putting his maroon tie on with his uh, with gladiator helmets and his tie pin, you know, that, that says uh, 187. Again, that goes back to the Black Echo. And I like that. Again, I told you, I love that connectivity that weaves through all these books. And again, it's just homage back to the Black Echo. You know, I want to talk about the line from the book that says, he began to feel good and whole again and to feel angry. He was ready to get into the world whether or not it was ready for him. And you know, that's, to me, that was extremely sad because I found, and again, this is why Harry's in therapy. Because anytime that a police officer is doing his job out of anger, then that clouds his judgment. And it clouds his judgment, it then leads to, you know, bad shit or bad things happening. And I'm worried here, you know, and again, I'm glad Harry is in therapy. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. But again, as a detective, anytime bad shit happens to me, is went out of anger. Because, you know, we're humans. and you know, it, it's hard to be professional when you're angry at something. And the fact that Harry felt good about being angry, he was, you know, again, quote unquote, he was ready to go out into the world, whether or not it was ready for him. Ooh, again, that, that's not starting out well at all. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of an uh, incident that happened early on in my investigative career. and. I had, it was some personal matter at home that when I went to work, I was angry. And I remember interviewing this one guy. And, you know, when, we, when you interview, we remember, I want to go into an interview armed with more information than what the defendant thinks I have. And I want to get as much information about this one guy or defendant as possible. But so I had a lot of information, a lot of backstory about this one um, guy. And I was just ripping into him to the point where he bust out crying. And I kept on going to the, uh, the person, the detective who was helping me with the interview kind of looked at me and tapped me like, dude, what the fuck? I mean, you broke him. And after I got out, I'm like, oh, again, listeners, I'm not proud of it. Again, it was early on in my career. I wasn't proud of it. But, you know, things happen for a reason. Because I then went into, if, if you repeat this to anyone, I'm going to, I'm going to deny it. <laughs> but later, I, I went to a interview technique class. And in that interview technique class, this FBI um, master interviewer was giving us, you know, these pointers and, and tips. And one of the things he just, it was, again, it was weird how this worked out. He said, never bring your emotions into an interview because you lost. If you bring your emotions into an interview, you have lost. The interviewee has won already. So develop something that in your mind clicks that, hey, turn off any external emotions. And again, I'm dating myself, but I remember this uh, movie, Beetlejuice. And you remember Beetlejuice would say, it's showtime. 
And I kind of start using it's showtime in my head to get ready for interviews. Just so that told me, hey, don't get personal. Don't bring your personal emotions into an interview or a situation. But mostly it was interviews for me because I'm specifically talking about interviews and being angry. And again, I was just, I want to give you that quick example how bringing, being angry at the world can cloud your judgment. And that's why I'm kind of worried about Harry right here. And um, Bosch goes into uh, the Hollywood division to drop off his cruiser because, as I was just talking before, Pounds ordered him in. But, you know, we still see Michael really gets into how much of a coward Lieutenant Pounds is. You know, he calls in another witness to, you know, being in there with Harry. Really? And then Harry then takes control of the scene with this authority because Pounce calls this uh, other guy in to be a witness and Harry orders him out and the guy leaves. So after Harry drops off the keys and tells uh, Pounce, yeah, you're a paper pusher, you're a bean counter, you go ahead and take the car to, uh, to service. That's not a job for a cop. That's a, you know, that's a job for you. You know, it, that's, I, I like Harry because, you know, again, he's not afraid to push up on authority. But, you know, I really like, so after Harry leaves, he's at the corner, Edgar pulls up. <laughs> Edgar says, you need to ride, tough guy. <laughs> and, you know, right then and there, all's forgotten. Now, this is the first time they, him and Edgar are interacting one-on-one opposed to via answer machine. And Harry gets into the car. And I love that line, you know, you need to ride, tough guy. But, you know, we still see Harry is still not trusting or taking advice from his friends. Again, from the book, I think you should figure out who your friends are and listen to them for once. Again, that's an example of Harry being angry, not willing to listen to anybody, and is on this destructive path. That you, how many times we say, we, you know, we see this train coming down the uh, tracks, and Harry's on the tracks and don't want him to get run over. And that's, to me, what Edgar's kind of saying here. And while Bosch is en route, to go to the car rental place, you know, he gets a phone call from Keisha. And then, you know, he goes to meet Keisha Russell. And Keisha gives Harry some great information. You know, that Johnny Fox was a uh, campaign worker for Arnold Conklin. And then later on, maybe a year after his mom was uh, killed, that Fox is uh, killed by a hit and run. Again, now things are starting to tur- turn up a little bit. And what we what do we say about coincidences? You know, as cops, we don't like coincidences. And was it just me? Or did you guys pick up on the instant chemistry between Keisha Russell and Harry Bosch? Keisha asked Harry, you know, why you want to become a cop, you know, after Vietnam, you want to like, carry guns or something. And Bosch says, uh, something like that. And then later on in that conversation, Bosch said, well, I told you I had to read more papers. And she said, papers? And, you know, she was smiling. He said, I better not catch you reading that da- uh, the Daily Snail. And Bosch says, hell have no fury like a report scorn, right? And she says something like that. You know, again, just those little quips that Michael Connolly captures between Bosch and Russell is starting the building blocks of a good, long-lasting relationship that he had with Brimmer. 
that he's now establishing with Russell. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day is as follows. During a therapy session with Harry, Dr. Noho describes a police condition called the blue angst, which symptoms were similar to post-traumatic stress syndrome. From the book, can you think of anything more stressful to be in this city during the last few years other than a police officer? Between Rodney King and the scrutiny and the villainy that bored on, the riots, fires, floods, earthquakes. Each police officer on this force had to write the book on stress management and, of course, mismanagement. Question. Is the blue angst worse today, 2019, or back in the 1990s? First, let me say thank you so much for participating in the poll. And the fact that 79% of you say that the quote-unquote blue angst is worse now than back in the 90s really gives me hope that society understands the pressures that they're putting on the police. It might sound corny, but I do believe that with great power comes great responsibility. But the microscope in which law enforcement lives under nowadays, I honestly, knowing what I know now, would I have taken this on back in the 90s? I, I don't know. I have to be honest with you. I don't know. I'm glad I did. But the instantaneous villainization, I hope that's a word, of a police officer when they make a mistake, because they are going to make mistakes. We are human. I don't know, can anyone have a job where you interact with people in an unpredictable situation where you have a camera in your face all the time and people know and try to antagonize you to get a response out of you? Because the cops will do that. You know, I'm going to say this, I've been preaching this throughout all our podcasts, that Cops will react, but then do you really want the way they react? In fact, what in fact I mean by react is they're going to become detached and they're going to become kind of robotic. And I don't think that does society well by having a robotic officer who doesn't have empathy to understand what you're dealing with right then and there. I think that's what made me a good investigator and a good cop because I was not afraid to empathize with people. And I try to put myself in their shoes and try to understand what is behind the crime. Now, again, just because I put myself in your shoes doesn't mean I I had to hold you accountable. But at least in my mind, I tried to calibrate that. Everyone wasn't good. Everyone wasn't bad. There's a lot of gray. You know, um, I learned that 10% black, 10% white, and 90% gray in in between there. And, you know, we deal with the the 90%, the gray area. And while officers are living in this gray, that goes back to this blue angst because there's so much pressure to get it right, to do it right all the time that I think it is unreasonable and unrealistic. So that's my diatribe for the blue angst. And again, I really appreciate, really, really, really appreciate um, everyone participating in this poll because it does my heart good that at least 80% of people who doing this poll understand that 
The blue angst is worse now. The scrutiny is worse now than it was back in the 90s. So I feel like I'm rambling and let's get back to hitting the streets. And as we continue, I would like to pick up from something happened in the book when Harry arrives to uh, his session with Dr. Noho. From the book, he hesitated. Partners don't do that. Not to each other. They're supposed to be there for each other. It's kind of supposed to be like a marriage, but I've never been married. So what Harry is saying here, let me broaden it out a little bit. Again, this is just my opinion. Imagine you were dating somebody. You guys decide to take a break, quote unquote break, against mutual, no bad feelings. And then you go out and you happen to see that person out with someone else. And you, you know, that feeling of like, oh shit, they're out with somebody else. It's, it's, it hurts. That's what Harry's saying. It hurts because it's so intimate. Your partner, you, you know, you're in a car, you spend all this time with your partner. Hell, at times I was spending more time with my partner than I did with my wife and family. And so they knew me, they knew everything about me. So then you imagine that you call your partner up and they hesitate. If you have a good partner, you don't hesitate. If my partner called me now and said, hey, Phil, could you do this, this, this for me? Like, yeah, no problem. Oh, Phil, I need you to do that, that, that. Because here's the thing. You trust each other that they have your back and they're not going to try to put you in any compromising positions. And what Edgar did to Harry when he hesitated, the fact that Harry got hurt behind it, because that's what he was saying. It's kind of like a, a marriage. It's so personal. You know, you can't get no more personal than being married to somebody, but then being a cop's partner. Because it's life or death. You know, you got to think that this person has your back. When the situation comes up, that they have your back. And we just talked about the blue angst, and I'm not going to go back over that again. But I really want to thank Michael Conley for writing this passage and giving the blue angst or this post-traumatic stress in, uh, syndrome a voice. Because, you know, it's so true. And I think back on what I was talking about earlier in the circle jerk. If I had read this book back before then, that quote-unquote circle jerk, I think I would have went into it with a little bit more open mind because I didn't give it a chance. So I totally dismissed it right off the bat. And, you know, looking back on it again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I can understand what the facilitator was trying to do. And I like what Michael Conley does here because it gives officers, if, if you trust Michael Conley and the character he is building with Harry Bosch and how authentic these different situations are, if Harry is able to open up and give a doctor or no a chance, then I could give a doctor or a person who's facilitating a round robin to talk about issues a chance. And that's another reason why I like Michael Conley, because it gives officers a perspective of, well, hey, wait a minute. I trust Michael Conley. He's writing about this guy who, who's flawed, who's a police officer, 
And even with all his walls that he puts in front of Dr. Onoho, she's able to break them down and to get him to start talking about his issues. Then maybe when it comes to me, I could do the same thing. And also while we're on this um, blue angst, you know, back then, we would taught, handle, quote unquote, handle your business. Keep your mouth shut and just deal with it. And, you know, cops didn't just, then we didn't just deal with it. You know, it's going to manifest itself in some ways. If you got problems, emotional stressors, it's going to manifest itself in a certain way. You know, alcoholism, um, substance abuse, or abuse of spouse or family. You know, it's going to come out somehow. But, you know, back then, we, you know, we didn't talk about it. Nowadays, you have these employee assistance programs, these other ways for police officers to go out there and to avail themselves to get some type of treatment. Because you, you are in a war zone, a constant war zone, the media pressures, the blue angst that you're going to need somehow to constructively let that steam off. Because if you don't let, it, let that steam off, then not only are you a harm to yourself, but more broadly, you're a harm to society. And again, I've always said it before, you know, you not only are you protecting what you're doing, you're also protecting your fellow officers because as we've seen it, you know, a videotape go viral and then that will be a small segment of a law enforcement world, but it's going to be blast all over the media, you know, social media, cable TV, and everyone is everyone's going to think that's how police officers do things. That's how police officers work. So if you're listening to my voice, just like Harry did, avail yourself to some type of therapy to get yourself through whatever you're, because you're going to go through it. You know, we have a thankless job. And if you're out there waiting for someone to pat you on the back to tell you you did a great job for you to keep on going, you're going to be waiting a long time. now. Here and there, you do find solace in the work that you do. But in between those times, seek professional help. And again, you're not weak for doing it. You're actually doing yourself and the greater community a service for um, going out there and getting some type of help. And as Dr. Noho is getting Harry to open up. Harry talks about the coyote. And again, I love how Michael Connolly roped in the title of the book here. You know, Harry sees himself as the last coyote. And Dr. Noho kind of does some simulation. Well, she says, hey, I don't like doing uh, interpretive uh, dreams. But, you know, one, you see yourself as this coyote. And as you said yourself, not too many police officers like you are left. And, you know, there's some type of uh, threat to your existence and or your mission. And did you guys pick up on the fact that during this interaction between Harry and Dr. Noho and the, the coyote, Harry then says to uh, Dr. Noho, you know, last time we talked, we talked about, you know, your life's mission. And he tells her about his life mission, that his life mission is to find out who killed his mother. But did you notice that now, Dr. Noho says, well, Harry, not Detective, not Detective Bosch, but Harry, tell me about that. And I thought that was so sentimental and so intimate that now she calls him Harry. 
And now to me, the healing can begin. Because up until this point, we've he's been fighting her for the last, and we're up to uh, chapter 12. So last 12 chapters, or the last 11 chapters, Harry's been fighting Dr. Noho for one way or another. And you know, matter of fact, even bef- after this break, before this breakthrough, Harry puts his last barrier up. Again, from the book, I'm sorry to intrude on such an emotional, sensitive area, she finally said. But that's what this is all about, right? You have the license to intrude, and I can't do anything about it. So then accept it, she said sternly. We've been over this before. To help you, we're going to have to talk about you. Accept it, and maybe we can move on. Whew. Boy, I tell you, I, I, I like Dr. Noho because, you know, right then she's really stern, really forceful with Harry because she's going to get his res- respect. But then now to then start calling him Harry, opposed to Bosch or Detective, I thought was very telling in the way Michael Connolly started allowing Harry to open up. From the book, he looked down at the gray rug in front of him. He spoke to it because he didn't know how to say it to her face. I'm an orphan. I never knew my father. And my mother was murdered in Hollywood when I was a kid. Nobody, there was never an arrest made. You're looking for her killer, aren't you? He looked up at her and nodded. That's my life mission right now. She showed no shock on her face, which in turn surprised him. It was though she expected him to say exactly what he just said. Tell me about it. And that gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts person for chapters 9 through 12 of The Last Coyote is Dr. Carmen Anoho. And I picked Dr. Carmen Anoho for how Michael Connolly depicts her push-pull, her expert way, as Harry said, breaking him down but you know she didn't break him down to a point where he he felt emasculated she broke him down to a point where he felt comfortable enough to start opening up I mean hell we've been for the last three books Harry is a very guarded person and we're starting to see why he was or why he is so guarded and the fact that Dr. Noho could expertly pierce that veil or start to pierce that veil and get that trust I think goes a long way. So my everyone counts or no one counts for The Last Coyote, chapters 9 through 12, is Dr. Carmen Anoho.
Well, this concludes chapters 9 through 12 review of The Last Coyote. Boy, this one, I said it before, and I think I've been preaching this on social media. If you really want to get to the meat and potatoes of Harry Bosch, this book is very important. And you know, this is what makes Michael Connolly great because this, for me, established the legacy and why I want to stay with Harry Bosch. So this book is very integral, especially because you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully I'm giving you some um, insights and perspective. And this book gives us a lot of insight and perspective of Harry Bosch. Um, Please continue to go to Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. And again, I keep saying it, and hopefully I'm starting to incorporate this in the podcast a little bit more. Uh, Leave comments. Email me, leave comments, and hopefully I will show the interaction and it will come out through this podcast. And also, please continue to share this podcast with any friends or family because, again, we're growing and it has to be because you guys are promoting the podcast and telling your friends and family. So I really appreciate that. And also, uh, don't forget to go to the website, uh, www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. You know, I just added some new things. I added like a timeline, you know, because I got some feedback about the timeline, some important dates concerning the world of uh, Harry Bosch. So if you see something, say something. And if you think it's important, I'll add that to the timeline. So next up on the Thin Blue Line, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters 13 through 16. I'm Philip Parker, and I'm 10 to 7 for the remainder. <laughs>